0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast
1: Network. Boom, we're on. Today's guest, we've got a guest from London, Paul Hanniford. How are you, brother? Yeah, very well, thank you. First of all, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for asking me. Um, yeah. You've had a very colourful past also, um, drug abuse, many prisons, but to now you've spoke to over half a million kids to help them not make the same mistakes you've made to educate them and to give them a better life. Um, You've been in young offenders institutes, Uh you've done a lot of time, basically. Uh Um,
0: You had addiction issues for how long, nearly 20 years? 20, 24 years. Yeah, a long time. You're looking great, by the way. Yeah, do you know what? As I said earlier, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm. As I'm getting older, I'm like an old bit of cheese. I think I'm maturing. You what know? is the age? Because I'm fifty-one, 51 yeah. nearly. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, look, no, I just, you know, I've been clean quite a few years now, and I just, you know, I um, you know, need to take care of myself. I mean, I've still got, which will show you in a little while horrific, horrific injuries from my past. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got blood clots in my legs. I'm on loads of medication still, so I have to be really careful. You know how I am. Um, yeah, I I carry myself in life. Yeah. But do you know what? You know, I've got a fantastic job on and, and I'm grateful.
1: Yeah. It's amazing, mate, and fair play, yeah, take my heart off to you. That's okay. Because your eyes are clear, everything's yeah. good, you're feeling good. Yeah. It's a good place to be in, especially from ejecting heroin which and it is crack, one of, yeah. yeah, and all the stuff that to get to where you are it shows you a massive courage and strength that you're a fighter, brother. So it's good. But we'll go right back to the start, Paul. Go on then. How it began and how your life started the way well, it my my,
0: my 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 first recognition of childhood, I would have been, I don't know, eight, East London, Essex. And then um, we lived in a place called Ornchurch. And I remember always remember my, uh, you know, I was obsessed with my dad. Right? He was a thick set, Cockney, black curly hair. And, uh, you know, and he, he, if, if he went to work and I wasn't at school, I'd go work with him. You know, and he, he he liked to drink and he liked to smoke and you know I, mean, I just remember just you know being a good kid and nine and play football when to play for West Ham and I remember that I I was obsessed West Ham United and I remember in about when I got to about 10 my mom and dad moved into a, a pub in Essex so I've gone from living in this house to this great big pub and it was fascinating it was full of the villains and all the ICF all the West Ham were in there and they used to take me on Saturdays to watch West Ham and um and yeah, I know what, I was sitting. I remember sitting on Saturdays or any afternoon in the pub, cause pubs used to shut then, years ago. So between two and four o'clock in London, I don't know about Scotland, pubs just shut for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. But always going from school. Anyway, the weekends, I remember you see all the old villains turn up in their rollers, proper old gangsters. And they used to play this card game called Kaluki. So what they do is two packs of cards and it's like a board with matchsticks. I'm not sure about the game how it worked, mm-hmm. but I used to sit with all these villains on this big round table. And they'll be sitting there smoking their cigars. And I was like an errand boy. So what I had to do was they would all the drinks. So I'd go up to the bar, get the drinks on the tray, and the bottles of light like ale and lager, what they should drink, Guinness, take it back to their tray and sit and watch. And at the end of the game, I'll get treated. They'd all give me a pound. And it was like, you know, and I was fascinated. I was just going to buy them cigarettes. And, you know, that was my life. And then what happened was I noticed I went to secondary school and I still quite liked it. And somewhere along the line in secondary school, somewhere, Two years in, um, you know, we'd moved out of the pub by then, and my mum, and dad sort of split up. And I remember getting involved with some boys one day, a little bit older than me. And I always liked the—I was always attracted to sort of like—I don't know what trouble, trouble, trouble yeah. yeah. I like, I like, you know, maybe the—you know—it's just that it seemed quite attractive. That yeah. you know, the boys that were quite lively, yeah, a little bit older than me. And I tried the cannabis, tried it, and it wasn't weed so much in it; it was like a resin. I tried Gosh. it. Hatch, yeah. And do you know what? You know, uh, um, And within a few months, it got older me a little bit. I lost interest in school. Didn't like it. Got chucked out of one. Got chucked out of another. Started robbing stuff from the school. And I suppose within the space of about 12 months, I, uh, I, was, I was schoolless. So at this point now, um, it should be year 10. I'm around 14, 15. And no other school in Essex was interested in me, apart from one called a Pupil referral Unit. And they call them Alternative Provision. they got them all over the country now. But there wasn't that many then. And this one was called intermediate treatment, so I've turned out with this school, and it was like fifty boys now, all just like me, all been chucked out of mainstream school. So you imagine what it was like.
1: Yeah.
0: It was. Uh, it was like this. This. This gaff that there was no boundaries. We did what we wanted, and um, they used to take us on trips, and we uh, we was just egg right wherever we went, and they took us to a, a theme park one day. I can't remember it was, Fort Park or something like that. And we got back to the minibus, and and uh, they'd left the keys in the bus. The staff. So we just fucked off in the, in the minibuses. <laughs> all 15-year-olds going down the motorway. <laughs> and you got this driver, right? yeah, one of the, one of the boys in my school driver's minibus. Anyway, the police has come and, and they chucked us out. We all got chucked out for it. But see all them boys that, that I got chucked out with, now I'm on the street with them. So I'm 15. We've got no schooling, no school wants us. And we're all alcohol and cannabis dependent because now I'm out committing crime. So we're out, like, you know, thieving from shops every day we planned to go out and rob and it got to the point where, you know, I'm picking up convictions and I'm starting to get bored with a bit of weed now I'm taking things like lots of LSD amphetamines, and you know what, when I actually look back at the age of sort of 15, you know, I was probably an alcoholic. I couldn't start drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just alcohol, not just like your pint, I'm on about, you know, tenant supers
1: yeah. and kestrels strong and stuff.
0: really, really strong stuff, getting paralytic every night. Yeah. Then obviously going around, get kicked nicked with a knife and we give ourselves some silly name, the East London gang and, uh, and as time went on, as time went on, um, you know, I was putting up convictions and I started drinking in pubs. So now you've got to remember, I'm 18 years of age now. And when I was a kid, I was immaculate. You know, 18 years of age, I am drinking in pubs, you know, and I had this full head of air and I used to put Brill cream in it, I should Brill cream it back. <laughs> and then, you know, but what happens is now, the crime has changed. So now I'm drinking in pubs. So now I'm going to the pubs, I'm meeting these criminals, a bit older than me, and a lot of them were into credit card fraud. So we started doing it. Now we got memories. When I'm going out of a credit card, I got to look like I've got a few quid, because I'm going out doing credit limits on people's cards. And the, so this 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 fellow drunk in his pub, he's 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 partner works for the post office. He checked the credit cards. Cut long story short. So now obviously I need to look like I've got a few quid. So I'm going out immaculate every day. I'm living with my girlfriend at the time, Joanne, and um, and I'd go out and we'd do all the credit cards. Go back to the pub, and then I'd just get stoned and drunk every night. So at this point now I'm like 20. Immaculate, and you know up until that life was like all right. Really, life was you know I was doing a prison sentence. I was my girlfriend, and as I said, I was as a kid I was immaculate. I had big white teeth. I had this great hair, and I should brill cream it. And I should think probably I was him Malone. And that is my life. And now I'm drinking in this pub with villains. So it took me back really to my childhood. Yeah. When I was ten. So you're not working for the villains. You became I, a villain. I became. I say won't became a villain. I was just fascinated with yeah. them. But I'm in an environment now. I'm 20 years of age, you know. I've just come out of my teens. I'm drinking in pubs with all these villains, well-known villains that have written books, and I'm fascinated with these men, you know. And once you get seen once with these men in a disco, you never queue up again. So I'm going out to the villains, and we're going to discos and, and certain bars where there's always queues at weekends. Then, once, obviously, the dawn recognised me, I'm taking my gang along, and so all the, they're just letting us straight in. It's like, great, my ego has gone through the roof, mm-hmm. hasn't it? And... uh at that point I'm a healthy young bright boy okay I'm in this criminal environment and then I remember one day um I went to this party one evening and this fellow was there I didn't know very well I got into the bedroom. cut long story short they brought out this some tinfoil and started smoking it and I knew what it was and I knew it was. it was called heroin chasing a dragon and believe me I tell you what right I, if you were if you mentioned the word heroin amongst that group of gang or the putos mm-hmm. in that you know that it, they'd to like it was like the drug never, ever to take. And the reason that was, because I used to see heroin addicts where I live. And when I used to look at these guys, and we got remember I'm 20, I'm 18 stone, I'm immaculate kid. You know, I shower twice a day, brush my teeth three times a day, change my clothes twice a day. And I used to look at these guys, you know, in the street, and I think, they're rotten. You know, you knew they didn't wash. They were filthy dirty, rotten teeth, inject with needles. And that, you know, that was just like a million miles away from me. Anyway, I don't know how it happened. I must have got drunk and I, and, I, and, I, and I tried it. And, you know, I remember sitting in this flat in East London thinking to myself, you know, what is this drug? Well, you know, it just I thought it was i thought it was heaven, you know, but little did I realise, you know, it was actually hell because I tell you what, afterwards, few, you know, I started taking it again and again. Now I'm trying to hide it from me, gang. I'm losing weight. You can't hide that. And then it got to the point where, you know, my girlfriend at home was noticing me losing weight, and I think it got to the point where within a year, you know, I'm no longer in the gang. You know, they dropped me out. And do you know what? It got to a point where I, was, <laughs> I remember walking past one of the bars and i lost five stone in 12 months. That's how much weight I'd lost. And I am walking past this bar one day, you know, near where I used to you know, hang about in my gang. And some of my gang members were in there. And I walked past with this other drug addicts because I started hanging about with heroin, heroin addicts. And all of a sudden, they've come running out of the bar. And I remember the fella next to me, they absolutely beat him up, you know, really badly. And they were just frustrated and angry. They didn't touch me, just beat him up. Didn't know him, mm-hmm. but just obviously so angry and frustrated that I'm no longer in the gang. I look unhealthy. So any area, they, they sort of blamed them. It wasn't their yeah. fault. It was, you know, everything I like did was my fault, yeah. of course. And then I think within about a year, I um, I started injecting it. And then when I was a kid, you take me to the dentist, I ate needles. I can't stand them. It's like you can't put a needle near me. I promise you now you can't. So what I started doing was I got props, what I showed the kids in school was I started using one of these. And then what you have to do is you start you put the hair in a spoon, you cook it up, and then you, you obviously most people injecting their arms with their hands. And as you can see, I've got no veins left in my hands, but that's where most people start injecting. And tell you what, it's quite really painful. Then my arms, then my penis, my neck and legs and feet. So within like about a year and a half, I'm injecting every day. I'm out robbing every day, by the way. You know, the way I get my money at this point, I'm a bulk shoplifter. So I go to places like Harrods House, Fraser Selfie's, Debenhams. And what I do is I pick up racks of stuff as much as possible and just walk out the door of it. And I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty brazen with it yeah, and I got away with it for years it, yeah. yeah I say camel, you know and I got away with it and then, then what I do I people buying it off of me so if I'm nicking around two grams of stuff a day I sell it at 500 yeah. I spend all the money on drugs but it got to the point after about two years I got into crack cocaine now you know I started smoking crack and I normally do it on the pipe and I was in some crack then one night and I see a fella inject it and I looked and, you know and I thought I'll try it and I worked out how to do it and I put all the syringe but what happens is you see crack cocaine is cocaine bad I washed up with a substance called ammonia. I call it free basing. Yeah. So the ammonia actually goes into the crack, but it draws out all the rubbish it's cut with, so you're left with pure, hard cocaine. Most people smoke crack on the pipe, but I started injecting it. But the problem was, you know, it makes your veins go hard. And I was in a crack then one night, and I remember as I pulled that needle out my arm, that metal bit sort of bang, snapped off. And I looked, and I thought, fuck's sake, where's that gone? And I looked, just in my arm. So I see it. I was just see the end of it. So i got this pair of old tweezers, and I'm trying to dig it out, and bang, it just popped right inside. So I moved my arm about, and I thought, oh, do you know what, I'll leave it. I leave it. It didn't hurt me that much. And I remember about two, three days later, all of a sudden my arm started swelling up, so it must have got infected. So I remember going to A and E and speaking to his doctor and he said, I said, I got a needle in my arm and he went he looked at me, he went, What? I said, Yeah, I've got a... he went, What happened? I said, well, I injected some crack and it he, he went, Why don't you come to the hospital straight away? I said, I to get money for drugs. Anyway, cut on to his short and he anyway, went, they operated. I woke up on the wall next day after operation, big scar there. And he comes to my bed, the doctor, and he looks at me, he went, We better leave it in your arm. It's too dangerous to remove it because of tendons and nerves. It's still mind. there now. Yeah, it's still there. I can feel it under the skin. And uh, and I remember this doctor looked at me and he went, listen to me. He said, if you don't stop injecting that drug, he said, you're going to die soon. And I think I looked at him and I said, you know what, doctor? I can't stop. You know, I just couldn't. I, I think I wanted to stop, to be honest. Yeah. You know, it got me. It's that much, that mm-hmm. drug. And then um, I worked out that all my veins were done except for two. In our body, we have a femoral artery that thick in our groin. And it's about two inches long inside your leg. Well I found out that needle was too small, it wouldn't reach. So what I had to do was I had to start using one of these. And that is 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 is, is painful. Now you've got to remember at this point, right, I'm spending five hundred pounds a day on drugs. Minimum four hundred. I've got gap robbing every day, I go back to a crack den at night and I got like five hundred pounds of crack and heroin. Now I'd get about fifty hits a night out of that. Now, you've got memories. I'm putting this needle in my body. Now, sometimes, you know, I've got one needle for the whole day because I ain't got to the chemist to get new needles. Yeah. So I've got to spend 50, I've got to, I've got to inject myself 50 times a day with that. After about 40 hits, it gets blunt and I just sharpen it sometimes on the matchbox. So I'm digging it down through my groin. As I sort of rip it out, the blood literally squirts out the artery. And I remember I had to put pressure on it. Now, we you've got memories, I've got no clean clothes. Right, I've got one set of clothes, that's what I live in. So, I'm now, you know, next morning I'm waking up in these crack dens, right? After injecting myself, no money, I'm starving, hungry, yeah, right? And then what happened was, obviously, this blood stained clothes, I've got to go robbing. Then I started getting infections in my legs. And I remember all of a sudden I got this scab at the bottom of my leg one day, and I looked and I thought, what's that? So I sort of like picked it. And then a few days later, I got a blood clot, my leg blew up, and this scab, this little hole, got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, within about a year, I'll show you a picture here. My left leg, it got so bad to the fact where I um, I had to address it with nappies, because what happened was the, the, the blood coming out of it every day was horrendous. So this is a picture of my, uh, let have a little look here. Yeah. I've got it here somewhere, let have a look. I'll show this to the kids in schools, hopefully. the drugs Yeah, yeah The So that was like my uh, my left leg there. Yeah? Yeah, just
1: bring yeah. that up to that camera you it out there. Uh,
0: yeah. So that's my left leg. So that's for my left leg. The other side was down to the bone. This side on the outside was, was all... all and, it, and it stunk. Now, we've got members. This bitch is this picture's in hospital when they cleaned it up with the maggots and that. So at this point now... I mean, my legs ain't healed up. I'll show you in a minute. So at this point now, you know, I'm 24 years of age. My legs are open down to the bone. I don't wash. My teeth have gone rotten. I don't eat. I'm living in cracked ends. And, you know... This stuff has gotten me so mm-hmm. bad, and I look back and I think, you know, wow, where am to that ten year old little boy that wanted to play for West Ham? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is just the beginning, now you see. Yeah, was your dad living at the time? No, my mum and dad split up by then. Mum and dad split up when I was pretty young. Um, but I was, there was no excuse though if I had one dad two dads or no dad to have yeah. to, to that choice that day. You got so I mean? he,
1: role model, though he, he was my role world. model
0: don't get me wrong my dad was my life when my dad sort of split up it was like yeah you know all of a sudden this man who's in my world which is God yeah. my dad was God he's not in it no more so I'm not saying I'm not pinpointing that and saying did that play a big part in me yeah because I still was attracted to, you know... That lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it in the But the, the
1: shackles kind of came off. Yeah. The, the chains are free where you can yeah. experiment this kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're talking, what, the 80s? Yeah. So that stuff wasn't... Well, no,
0: that, the, it was back the 90s. 90s, into therein, So yeah.
1: the thing is, what's crazy as well, Paul, is people with addictions, I've had many addictions yeah. myself, you kind of look down at people who take heroin. Yeah. But all addiction's the same. Massive. It's all the fucking yeah. same. But yeah. yeah, people who take heroin or crack, they're looked at differently. The thing yeah. with alcohol, gambling, coke, you can take it a lot longer than heroin without the, without the effects shown. You can go a wee bit longer. You can hide from...
0: Look, I'm trying to detox some coffee at the minute and find a hard work. It's caffeine, yeah? yeah. You know, a million coffee shops in yeah. the, you know, every corner, coffee mm-hmm. shop, coffee shop, you know, and uh, but what I'm trying to say, so now at this point I've got to look, right? I'm twenty four years of age. You know, I should be in I should be working, I should be having a life. And people are starting to suffer. hmm People are starting to suffer Because, you know, this this illness I got people are gonna suffer as well. Let's start with my family. For one my girlfriend, Joanne, you know, who I was with for years, you know, she don't see me no more. My mum don't see me no more. In fact, my mum walked past me in the street one day. I remember I was in a town centre, of Romford, and uh, I was obviously out of robbing some shop. And I walked past her and she walked around the corner and she sort of, she looked at me, made eye contact and didn't recognise me. Because at this point now, at 24, I've done like eight and a half stone. I am a bag of bones you Begging on the street as well, not begging, no, just robbing every day. Mm-hmm. A thief, you know, out and that out thief out robbing every day, shops, 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 all over the gaff. It
1: must have got more difficult though as your weight started to deteriorate,
0: your health, your yeah. legs, because as soon as you walk into a shop, that's you why know... I had to get in and get out. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I should get mini cabs, so I should jump in the cab and, should, and I should go right, let's go here, Lakeside Blue or wherever. And I, you know, what you got, to remember the gear I'm nicking is sold before I even stole it, so I got orders. Mm-hmm. i've got publicans i've got people and businesses market traders you know people buying the gear off me half quarter they sell it for half so they make the right few quid out of me so you got memories you know designer stuff always sold ralph and money boss wife Reece. So i was always so i go over in a cab park outside the door as long as the security guard out there pick the rack up yeah. go out leave all the alarms on it and i'm gone and if they do see me on cctv and then yeah, by the time i get down to that door i'm halfway up the motorway so i'm done and i'm out of there mm. and i was and that was seven days a week how was that feeling when your mum walked past you what were you feel an you know remember? what? Right, yeah. I felt embarrassed, but not for long because I probably withdraw in that morning. She'd see me, and you know, a little bit sensitive. The next, so hit, like, the, next, hit, but, but, next hit, bang, on don't think about her. And you know, I didn't see her for years. So, at this point, now what's happening is I'm out this is my life today. So, I'm at grafting every day, I'm at robbing, right? Every day, I'm living in and I could live in. I don't know. Say I was down here at Cannon Street now, and I found out a dealer I was using. And he said, "Right, meet me at Cannon Street Station, all right?" So I would meet him. Now you might get five other six addicts come along because what probably a drug dealer does—he he makes you wait a little longer because he's waiting for other addicts to phone him. So for him, it's less risk, more money at one point. You got me? He'd mm-hmm. only be going all over the if he wants to get as many addicts as one point. Get their dough go, and then I could probably if there's a crack den in this block of flats here, just how there was, and a guy meets me downstairs and he says, "I'm an addict, and I got these," and I stayed there for a couple of days. Then I'll be off in East London. Then I'll be. So I can stay, in the space of a month, I could be living 10 different crack dens. And at that point, I'm wearing the same clothes in that month, I'm not brushing my teeth in that month. I'm probably eating three meals a week in that month. You know, because once I've got my money, the last thing I want to do is eat or drink. I just want to spend every penny I've got on drugs. So I wake up in the morning, not only like, you know, we're really malnourished, I haven't eaten for days. You know, my legs stinks. So a rotten flesh is infected. Yeah, but I'm withdrawing from heroin. So my main fault in the morning, apart from all that, is this. That is my only fault. First thing, got to get go out and get some money. So then it got to the point where I was in and out of hospital, kept doing your prison sentence. Now, if I'm on this prison, I only went for shoplifting. So I even done a lot of sentences, 15 of them, that was only between three and six months, because the most you can get for shoplifting is around nine months. Yeah. The average sentence is about three to six months. So I'm going to prisons all around London. So when you go into the prison, they give you a detox, they give you methadone detox. So, even though that three or six months I went into prison, that saved my life. Because I won't get that in jail. You can't get big syringe needles. Mm-hmm. You can't spend 500 pounds down on drugs in jail. You've got no money. The only money you get is from working. But even in jail, I was committing crime. you getting meth and jail? You- got meth methadone. Yeah. But only five days, I was climbing the walls. I'd done a sentence it's three months once, half. I got a six week sentence. And I promise you, that six week sentence, I never slept once in six weeks. Because I'd I been I having sweeps. such artificial sleep from the morphine, mm-hmm. which is heroin. And, uh, you know. I remember being in jail. Even, I was even committing crime in prison. And Not only petty crime. They used to give me a job in the kitchen in a place called Elmley, Isle of Sheppey. So I used to work in the kitchen. So as you go down in the morning and you get a load of food, and that was method in my madness. You know, I want any grub. I love mm. my food. So I'm in the kitchen all day. And then when you just come out, they used to search you, make sure you ain't got anything on you. But I remember on our wing, I was on the A or B, I can't remember what it was, they used to come across with a hot plate to collect all the food for our wing. So I knew all the boys that used to do the surgery. So I used to get big blocks of cheese, all right? For like, like 10 pound lumps of cheese, wrap it in loads of uh, tea towels and chuck it on our trolley. So when they go out, they don't search the trolley, the screws. Mm-hmm. And you just get back to the wing. And when I got back later on that afternoon, they used to give me this big block of cheese and I used to chop it up and swap it for Mars bars and phone cards yeah. and all that. So I went from being a cracker to a cheese dealer. Half ounce of e and all that. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Everything has a price in prison. Uh-huh. but Everything. It's, it's crazy
1: though that uh, that mentality of thieving. <clears throat> There's always a way to make money. You always find the method in your madness yeah, how is. to get an earner Especially to in survive, isn't
0: everything it? Everything has a price in prison. Yeah. Everything. You mm-hmm. know, is, I'll probably like a ten pound bag of weed on the street mm-hmm. in jail, which over a hundred. You're lucky to you're lucky to fucking be alive, Paul. Oh yeah, it got worse. Do you know what I mean? It got worse, yeah, as I said. So now at this point, you know, my my, my this is my life, right, yeah? Wake up in the morning, go out grafting, thieving in mini cabs. And then now what's happening is now I'm well known shoplifter, bulk shoplifter. There's pictures of me in Arad Selfridges. In fact, my mate got nicked in Arad's and he got he went up to the security room where they wait for the police to come and mm-hmm. clutch her. And there's all cameras in there and then they had this ball on the wall of all the known shoplifters. Yeah? To look out for, yeah, and he said, Everyone's picture, there's 150 of them, was two by two. He said, Your was 12 by 12. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and underneath yeah. it, he said, he said, I laughed. So I looked up and he said, This great big picture of just you, there's all these little other ones. He said, You know, be aware of Paul mm-hmm. Hannaford, yeah, right? You know, be aware because obviously, I was mm-hmm. throw in and out, bang, done. Then he got hard oh, work, my legs getting bad. It got to the point where, you know, I can't get out, the shops know me, my legs bad. And then it was like, I was finding hard work to get the money. But I had to have it. So then obviously what happened was years and years ago, when I was involved in gangs, I remember I had this old revolver, buried it many years ago, been on a fishing ship with my mum's, went round there, dug it up, and I started robbing the dealers. Now, you can only rob so many dealers, right? Yeah, it's not a great idea yeah. to do it. So at this point, I had no bullets in the gun. I mean, they didn't know that, you know? But at the point, obviously, I'm running around there, my leg's stinking, rotten flesh. and robbing the dealers, and it got to the point point one night where... I'd got this bit of gear went to his crack then and for some reason you know it must have been you know I'd robbed a dealer and it was a big bag of gear and I think what happened was it was a block of heroin and little wraps. so what happens, is I think he must have bought that block to cut it up mm-hmm. but I've robbed it off of him I think it was like pure so I've injected some and bang next thing I know I've I, I woke up with paramedics over me in the back of an ambulance and I fucking thought what's you know it's like and then when I got to actually A&E I was in a hospital gown and the doctor the paramedic told me that I'd overdosed and the guy in the crate den lucky enough there was another guy in there that had called the ambulance because normally I'd brush off to McDonald's have a quick fix and go crack den but that night I went straight to a crate den and if I had gone McDonald's that night I'd have died there and that's all it so when I got to a now I'm sitting there and about an hour later I've come round I feel a bit better and apparently brought me back to life in the back of the ambulance with that machine and I remember the uh the doctor walked in uh, he, he started to you know he said you're right i said yeah i thought, i said i'm going now he went you're not you ain't going nowhere he said i'll give you a blood test when you come in and he said we just got the results back he said uh, you're in trouble he said if you leave this hospital you'll be dead in four days i went, why is that he went you've got pneumonia you've got septicemia and your haemoglobin which i found later out which is your blood have dropped so low yeah. and the infections in my leg White blood cells were not feeding them yeah four, four, hemoglobin of 4 kills you apparently mm-hmm. yeah I'm not a doctor but I do know that if it drops under 4 you're dead and I was you know I'd smash myself so it would be pneumonia would kill me yeah the septicemia was going to kill me so the drugs weren't going to kill me but one of them three diseases I had in illnesses was going to kill me in a matter of days and he looked at me he said listen to me stay in hospital I will give him methadone I give him I give a day, which is to hold me. I mean, 100 million will kill elephant. It's, it's a lot of methadone. And he says, you know, we, 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 four days' time, he said, we'll get you better. And what I do? Push him out of the way, grab my clothes and left. And the reason I'd left, because when I'd robbed that dealer and gone back to that crack then when I'd overdosed, I'd realised I'd left that drug there. Yeah, he's going to find it, that crackhead, and sell it. <laughs> That's my stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I've rushed around there to get it, but on the way around there, I remember walking past this police station, Now, this police station, I've done some horrendous things to myself in there, you know, all that dirty protest and things like that, and I was wanted. So at this point, I stood outside this police station with gaping big holes in my legs, you know, four days to live. Now, if I go to that crack then I will die there. There's enough drugs there to keep me there for four days, and I'll die there. The infection's going to kill me, and I'll die like a dog. And at that point somehow, something, amongst all my madness, I had a little bit of hope, courage, common sense, whatever it was, a little bit, enough, to drag me into that police station. And for well, I was going to go through cold turkey, I was going to get arrested. But there was an opportunity there to save my life. And something made me walk in. And do you know what? I remember it like yesterday. And I've walked in there. I think I walked up to the desk. And they didn't like me very much, the police. I didn't like them. <laughs> and uh and I think I broke down. I think I said, three words, please help me. And... I was in a, on the floor in a ball of tears. At that point, I was spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally broken. Smashed to bits. So they did their job. They arrested me. They rushed me straight back to the hospital. And they watched me for four days. So all the doctors come down. And they uh, they put a great big CVP line, they call it. That f- tube, that thick, with a needle on it. It goes down into it's the main vein in your body. All right? So they go down into your throat. And they put it down into your heart. And they pull the needle out the x-ray because they could puncture a lung if they do it wrong and then what they do is they put five stitches into your neck and they stitch the tube in and out of that tube comes three different tubes so you've got one for giving blood one for taking blood one for antibiotics so they're pumping me with antibiotics all day pumping me pints of blood just to get rid of the infection pneumonia and then they put me some nebulizer and then four days later i'm better and the doctor said right you know we, we, we're satisfied now that he's okay the pneumonia are gone the infections are gone and then I remember the police take me to court for theft, shopliftings. And I used to go, I used, when I used to get nicked, they used to throw 10 charges at me, all different shopliftings, put them into one. And they'd show me all the videos, the security of me running out of the door, you know, I couldn't deny it. And they put them all into one. So they took me to court, but this time I'm in a wheelchair. Because even though the infection's gone, my leg is rotten. Absolutely stinks, mm-hmm. it's infected. It's, I don't know about infection, but it's, it's bad. And I remember the judge looked at me and he went, you know, six months in prison. So I've done like many prison sentences. And I ended up in Chelmsford Prison, Essex. Now the first person you see, when you go into jail, the first person you see, you go through reception, you see a doctor, they chuck you in a wing. So they took me up to theater. I remember I'm sitting there thinking, this is it, man, they're gonna cut my leg off. And they handcuffed me and all of a sudden, the anaesthetists has come along, and another doctor's come in and they said, right, hold on a minute. He said, I've got, I've got an idea. He said, I'm gonna put maggots in your legs. So I thought, well, did I hear that right? He said, I'm gonna put maggots in your legs for four days. We put you in a ward, we put maggots in your legs. I said, what the maggots going to do? He said, you're going to eat away all the infected skin because your immune system is so smashed still. My hemoglobin went right that the antibiotics they were giving me weren't actually working. And he said, if that don't work, we cut your leg off. So all of a sudden, the next three or four hours, his quarry has turned up apparently. They get them from a special hospital and they had this, and a nurse come in, three nurses, because they were fascinated with it as well. And they put all these maggots, right, in this test tube and they poured them on my leg. And I remember they're tiny, they're little babies when they wrap it in a bandage, after two or three days, the bandage comes alive. the maggots are chewing on my legs. and like I should wake up in the morning, they'll be wiggling past my face and I'll be like, its stunk, I'll show you a picture of it and it's stunk, it's absolutely rotten. But you know what after four days or five days, a maggot actually turned into a fly
1: And oh, yeah. Up.
0: yeah, so yeah I timed it right. And then when I yeah. didn't open it up my leg was full of flies. So what I did was on day four, they took me down to the theater, they washed all the maggots off my legs. Yeah, that's the maggots there. Yeah.
1: Shit. We'll get all those pictures put on. That's up right, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you know what? Maggots eat all the rotten skin. So, all, uh, lucky enough. They saved your leg. I had to have 20 operations, though. 12 weeks I spent in the hospital, handcuffed to the prison bed. And then the prison guards would come in every eight hours. They put two new guards in. So, I was having six guards a day watch me. Well, it's costing the prison money. It was overtime, which obviously they liked. Mm-hmm. The cab fares to the prison from the hospital. And I was on this big, long chain called a closet chain. So the only way they'd take the, the, the handcuffs off if I was getting operated. So once I was asleep, they took the handcuffs off. Other than that, they'd come in the bath with me, the screws, toilet with me. There's no way, you know, I was handcuffed for three months. Constantly? Constantly handcuffed. Yeah, I had ulcers in my ass from lying in the bed all day. I had this big mark around my wrist, you know, where, they, where I was on the handcuffs. But in that period, that 12 weeks in that hospital, I detoxed from the methadone. Um, they saved my leg. Twenty operations, skin grafts. So I had twenty skin grafts. So my body kept rejecting the skin. So see, a body has to accept a certain amount of skin for it to grow, but mm-hmm. my body kept rejecting it. So I was down in the operating table all the time, all the time. And eventually, the last operation it took. So it started to grow. So my leg was a little bit better. And I remember after i mean all the sudden this morning. This uh, this prison governor come up, a little little guy. He went right, take the handcuffs off. And he took the handcuffs off, and he went, y- you're free. I went, what? He went, yeah, you serve your prison sentence. We've got to let you go. So i got a six month sentence, so twelve weeks of it in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And they give me this uh, uh, discharge right to get a bit of money, whatever else it is, and, and, and you know, I had hardly any property to be honest. And they walked off. And when the prison goes, I said, Gov, listen, I ain't be finding I ain't got nowhere to go. And he looked at me and said, Well you are not a problem anymore. He walked out, the nurse came in, I was in a little side room at the time and she went, Well look, now you're not a prisoner, you have to you have to leave. Were you clean then, Paul? Yeah, no I was heroin. clean. Yeah, yeah, I was it's clean. I was, um, you know, I'd done a detox in the hospital, yeah. methadone and that. Mm-hmm. I was on a bit of morphine for the pain in my legs. I was on that gas in there every day, you know, when I was doing the, like, yeah. when I was changing the dressing of my leg, it was painful. They had to give me the morphine just to change the dressing. Mm-hmm. You know, because when they take the skin off of your other leg, you know, taking the dressing off. Anyway, cut the story short, she went, you got to go. And, 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 and at that point, you know, my past life sort of smashed me in the face because I thought, this is it. I had no home, no family, nothing the clothes on my back what I had in a crack den mm-hmm. but now I'm clean but I've still got nothing where do I go back to that lifestyle now I've got a choice crack then, or what do I do you know no one come and visit me mm-hmm. you can't blame them yeah so eventually anyway I uh, heard about a place called a Rehab in Somerset and my, one of my pals was down there years ago so I phoned him up and uh, he'd been clean and he, I said is there a bed for me he said yeah there is funny enough he said it's in a treatment centre he said, it's like not the greatest treatment centre, but it worked for me. He said, uh, but you, you, there's not a bed for five days. I said, I ain't got five days. I said, the nurse wants me to leave now. He said, nothing I can do. He said, it's five days or nothing. So I thought, if I leave this hospital, I'll, I'll go back to crack then, I'll use. I just knew that that was an option, yeah. a massive option. So I called the nurse back in, I explained my situation and you know, I really got on with the staff and the nurses quite like me to be honest, you know. and I really got on with them and his sister, she went to me, do you know what? She goes, I'll give you a chance. She goes, you've got five days. And like, it was such a relief. And I kept phoning up this rehab every day. You ready for me? You ready? In the end, the prison come back up because I had to give a travel warrant to get me to the venue, to get me to the rehab. Mm-hmm. So I remember they gave me this travel warrant and I turned up in Somerset, Western Superman, this rehab and I the only leg bandages up and Larry's come and got me, took me to the rehab. And do you know what, I think for the first week, I just cried. I was in this rehab with all these other alcoholics and addicts and I kept going to the toilet. And I mean, I've never cried like it before. You know, tears coming down my face, so it was relief, all the frustration.
1: Everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of the conscience of
1: what you did as well. The yeah. You round about yeah you, because I, you're back in reality again. Yeah. You're not out, in, out the bubble. Where well, I'd, I'd woken up a yeah. little bit, not yeah, a lot.
0: Yeah. I've been asleep all my life, haven't yeah. I? I've been asleep yeah. all my life. Yeah. So I'd woken up and looked and thought, oh, what have I done to myself? What have I done to my family? You know, what have I done to myself? Scars all over me through self harm. you know, mental health and physical, everything. My legs were still bad. But there was still now hope. And that's what I got from rehab. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah. I, and I see other people getting clean there and i made lots of friends there. I was sitting out of hospital at the time. So I come out of there, got a little, uh, went to the second stage of rehab, which is called a halfway house you know, but I'm still in out of hospital having an operation, so my legs slowly, slowly got better. And then it was like, you know, make amends to to people that had armed. Oh. So I wrote a letter to my mum and, you know, and she she forgive me. And then obviously, you know, I had a girlfriend, um, Joanne, and I had a daughter with her years ago. And I always remember being with her years ago. And she put up with all my bullshit, bless her. She was a really hard-working, honest girl, and I lived with her and her mum years and years ago. And I remember years ago she took me back, and I'd always like relapse and getting back at it. And in the time she took me back when I was clean, I got her pregnant. And uh, and I remember um, when she was about five months pregnant, I'd relapsed. I went out one day, got on it, and she phoned me out following day, not like, crying. What's happened? Where are you? I can't get hold of you and all that. I said, Listen, I'm back on the gear. And she said, what do you mean you're back on the gear? I said, look, I'm back on the earring. She said, well, what about me, baby? And that? I said, look, I don't I know, I don't care, get rid of it, I don't know. And in the end, I couldn't deal with what. Yeah, I put blocked her. I can't deal with that. Back on this every day, this yeah. shit. Yeah. Anyway, eventually, you know, a few months later, I was back in jail doing a sentence, lying on my bed, with a letter come under the door, so she Chuck letters under the door then. I opened it, read it, and it was from it was from Joanne. She found out I was in prison, found all the jails, bless her. And she went, well, Can I come and visit you? I'm still pregnant. <laughs> And she goes, I'll give birth in two weeks. And that's, you know, I was in jail. I was cleaning jail. So she managed to book up a visit, phone up. And then two days later, it was a really hot summer's day. And never forget, I'm in Pentonville. And they took me from my cell to the visiting hall. And I'm all excited to see her. And they let her in. It's a great big visiting hall in Pentonville. Seats about 100 people. And she's come walking in. She lit the room up. She looked absolutely beautiful. I remember she's dressed in white from top to bottom. She had this white dungarees, white T-shirt, these white sliders on, this long, blonde, curly hair. I remember she was like big and fat, like pregnant fat. <laughs> and, she's come, and she's come walking up to me and I looked and it was like this angel, you know, this girl that I'd fall in love with years ago with my baby in her belly. Mm-hmm. It took her two and a half hours to get to the jail. And I think she was so exhausted. She sat down and you know, we had to get her a drink and, she, you know, she's about to give birth, 10 days away. And for an hour, that visit I had with her, she cried. And she literally begged me, you know, she to beg me. How dare she beg me? I should be begging her, you know? And she come all that way with a little bit of hope. And I had a week left to serve, so I knew I was gonna be out for the birth. And she said, look, when you get out, will you move in with me, promise? You know, get a job, promise? Never take a again, promise? You know, and I think I asked her to marry me, you know, once the baby's born, she said, yeah. And uh, and she left. And as she walks off, I give his big hug. And it was like, you know, I went back to my cell mate, and I said, you know what? I can't wait to get out of jail next week. You know, I'm gonna be a dad, I'm getting married. And a week later, they released me. Now, when you get let go from jail, they take you down to a reception. They give you back your bit of property. They give you a little envelope with 60 pound cash in it. They call it a discharge grant. So I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Leave the jail, go to a flat, drop me a bit of clobber off, get a job, scaffolding or something, you know, a bit of building work. The little bit of dough the prison gave me, I give it to her for the baby because she was living by herself. She had no money, so for milk and nappies. Anyway, on the way out of the prison gate, I got released with six other prisoners. And uh, I knew one of them really well. He was a crackhead. I'd used with him before. So I got talking to him at the prison gate. Within ten minutes I'm in an off licence. cut couple of cans of beer. An hour later I'm in a crack then. And I uh I never turned up. Mm-hmm. I never see my girlfriend again. And that is how powerful all this shit is. Yeah.
1: You
0: know, this this stuff that's killing people every day of the week ruined my life completely. Cause that can't stop me. You Know nothing will just my first love yeah. sitting opposite me next to me in the prison in the visiting hall crying, begging me with my daughter in her belly about to give birth. And I'm sitting there clean and sober, and I'm promising her, looking her in the eye, I'm going to get out and sort my life out. And then within an hour, being at the prison gate, I'm back in the crack, den, injecting it in my groin that shows you how powerful that, that this, this this stuff is. And you know, I'll never see her again. And... Um, I've worked out that over the years, when my daughter got to about five, Joanne met someone else. She met a man, married him, and, uh, and I found out he brought my daughter up. You know, and today I guess she calls him dad. Mm-hmm. Fair play to him, eh? Yeah. Fair play to the man. Done better than me, didn't he? Anyway, so, you know, she got brought another man. So I thought, That's, you know, i thought, live with that. So anyway, eventually I moved back to, I left my rehab eight years ago, went back to Essex, Romford, where i was brought up. So, you know, my family were there. You know, I wasn't seeing my family much, but, you know, all the, the environment I brought up in, I'm back in now. Yeah. And I had this idea I was going to go around to school and share my experience because I see what was going on in the street, you see. I see all this gang stuff, you know, it was, it was getting worse. I see all this knife crime was getting worse. I see all the drugs and alcohol was getting worse. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I could maybe help a few kids and share my story. So I got in touch with my local council and they got me the invited to this little youth club in a place called Rainham, Royals Youth Club. And I remember it was on a summer's night, about eight, nine years ago. So I've turned up and he's gone, all right. put your gear down, everyone, stop playing pool. This guy's coming to tell you a story. And you see all the kids looking at me thinking, Who's this guy? You know, he said, It's flare time and it? it's not school. So I spoke to eight kids and I told them a little bit of a story and I showed them my scars and that, you know. Anyway, um, I left there and uh, I thought that's pretty cool, you know. Anyway, the, three days later, the council contacted me and said, Oh, look, the only kids went back to their school and spoke to their head teacher and the head wants to know if you can come and speak to his year group, year nine, 250 kids. I went, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was sitting in struggling to I yeah. I thought, yeah. yeah. fucking 250 yeah. kids in a hall. And I went, all right, I'll do it. So I turned up to the school, done 250, the headmaster was so pleased with it. He went, can you come do the whole school? So I said, yeah, I'll do it, you know. And, uh, and that's what I done for three years. Didn't, didn't get paid for it. Just kept turning up with these schools, you know. And uh, I was yeah. on benefits yeah, at the really time, nice telling the story. But I was getting great feedback, you know, through via social media and other schools are hearing about it. Then, believe it or not, you know, the police, you know, come on board and, and give me a bit of work. And then a few football clubs, QPR, you know, come along and said you can come do some work for us. So I, I saved a little bit of money, and 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 I, and I, and I, and I built a uh, I built a website. And I remember I had just this website, Paul Wainer for Drug Awareness, and that was it. And I had this little logo, London Fire Brigade. I was working with him, QPR Football Club, like these brands I was working with, yeah. And it was great. And I started, you know, I signed off. I went on benefits anymore. I started to pay my way in life, you know. And I was, I was getting an honest living.
1: Yeah. So was that like therapy for you also, Paul, telling yeah, your stories Yeah, I think to kids so. And releasing a lot of emotion. I, I,
0: I, I, I think that, that, that when you look back at the boys I owned about bat with his kids, you know, they they didn't make it. I'll tell you for why there was a few that got severe mental health, severe. Drug related, yeah? You know, and I still see them walking around sometimes on the crack and that. They're, they're done, they're finished, man. They're, they're, there's no hope for them. You know, they're, they're, I see them, they've got rotten teeth and they were good looking kids when they were young. They were good footballers, you know? There's a few died, you know, been to funerals. And there's uh, one in jail still, you end up stabbing a man in the pub after gang life nothing to do gangs but years later that gang mentality you see mm-hmm. he's still in jail and I guess I'm the only one that's really come out and and done something
1: yeah but try to use your your past experience as a positive
0: well look, I sit here in front of you do you right? feel blessed Paul yeah do you know what I'm grateful yeah I'll, I'll tell you, you what i I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I appreciate everything because that's the problem in the world see people are really ungrateful and they appreciate nothing yeah you know, I'm I'm not obsessed. You know, I've seen some of your posts on social media, the way you talk, and it's that same mindset as mine. You know, we have to be grateful. It's nice to have nice things, but that made them important, yeah? yeah? You know, the way I treat others is important. I've got a tattoo on my arm, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a love art here. And it says three things on it. Love all, trust a few, don't harm anyone. You know, it took me a long time, see, I'm in recovering. and it took me a long time to understand that. You know, if I can go through my day to day, I don't drink or take drugs, it's okay. Yeah, what other people do is none of my business. If I don't harm anyone today, it's fine. I pay all my taxes, I pay all my bills. Any money left, I go on holiday. You know, I like travelling and, yeah. you know, the other side of the world, mm-hmm. meeting like monks and spiritual people, you know. Yeah. But I didn't get off lightly, you see, because you say I look healthy. All oh, right, I had my teeth, these are my own teeth, but I had some of them cleaned and that and all that. And quite the best teeth when I was a kid. You know i've shared needles in crack dens i reckon i have shared needles in dens when i mean share take a needle off someone else i mean like being in the crack den and there being be needles everywhere and i forgot what's one's mine so you know what do? i pick up someone else's and use it not once or twice five six hundred times anyway eventually um my legs healed up but it didn't heal completely now obviously if i show you this is a this was only a few years ago it's got better this was my left leg um Let's have a look where the blood's coming out of it. It's here somewhere. Yeah, this was my left leg up until about two years ago. It was still um it was still wow, look, there it is there. I was in the shower and it burst mm-hmm. open. Foxy, Paul. Yeah. yeah I'll show you now, look. See my leg here, sweeping now. Can yeah. You see that? still, look, all yeah, scarred yeah, up. Yeah. This one here eventually healed. So you're still getting fluid from it? Yeah, look, this one here is all dry and swollen. It swells up. The longer I'm on it, the more it swells up. Yeah. I, I finally sort my life out. You know, I I I live decent. I pay my taxes, I pay all my bills. You know, I I live like this human being. You know, like I should have as a kid. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you know, I, I, I'm... Extremely grateful. I have to be careful, my legs still. You know, if I bleed out, because I'm on morphine which yeah. is a blood thinner. So if I have an accident or cut myself and it, it goes bleed to death, I bleed to death. Yeah, I've got to be careful. I'm okay, I'll go down the gym. i must take care of myself. But anyway, as you know, I go in schools now. Yeah. And I had this idea, uh, what was it, uh, eight years ago. I said to someone, I'm going to educate a million kids. And I think a few people looked at me and, like, you know, frowned. A few a laughed. A few laughed. Yeah. <laughs> Oh okay, but I think I'm now I'm up to about four hundred and fifty. I've end of this year it'd be five hundred thousand. Half unbelievable, a million. As yeah, as one man. Yeah. And yeah. I got a lot of rejection at first and I still get rejection today, which we'll get to in a minute, yeah? yeah. You know, people saying we don't want you in and it's like oh, why it's not about you, it's yeah. about your kids. Yeah. How do you? How does one man or woman who works with kids make a decision whether to get this or not? And we've got carnage on our streets, morning, and night. You know, over two and a half thousand deaths in Scotland last yeah. year from heroin.
1: 27 percent rise in Scotland. Twenty-seven percent. Right. Now we've got
0: memories, right? Let's 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 in theory, yeah, right. Say two thousand seven hundred deaths last year, heroin-related deaths in Scotland, all adults. When they were ten, they weren't taking heroin. So could we have spoke to them when they were 10 and talked about drugs mm-hmm. and changed some of their lives. And I guarantee you, if you give all 2,700 of them people who they are young, that 2,700 will be less, mm-hmm. yeah? So how many more people are gonna die from drugs if we don't educate them young enough? How many more kids are gonna kill each other with knives if we don't educate them young enough? So, you know...
1: All you need to do is see a couple of your photos. Well, look, your do you, the if, you, if
0: you look at the amount of work I do, I guess, and you want to measure the work I do, because if, you know, if you want to see what the effort and the impact I have, just look on social media, mm. you know, the Instagram or Twitter, my, whatever else I go on, there's thousands, tens of thousands of messages there from kids. Yeah, so I have no magic wand. I don't turn up, no expectation. Anyway, as you know, I go to schools. Five years ago, I got an email from a school called Sacred Heart in Essex, Brentwood. No, sorry, Brentwood, i means that. And the head teacher went, can you come to our school next week? We've got a, uh, we're in a workshop, with year 10. And I found out what school it was. It was my daughter's school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Rears. Her head teacher didn't know I was her dad. We've got different, different second names. She didn't have no clue. Anyway, so a long story short, I, um, I thought I'd better let Joanne know her mum. But I didn't have her number. So I went on Facebook, I got a friend of friends to get it and I phoned her up. I went, Jane, it's Paul. She went, what do you want? Where'd you get my number? So I got a Facebook, she went, why are you calling me? I said, i got go to Ria's school. I said, you want to keep her off? You might want to speak to her. I've got to speak to her year group. And she went, listen to me, the day you're going to her school, she ain't going to be there. She's at another school called Cooper's just down the road doing a work experience course. So otherwise I might have considered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought it was my luck. So I turned up my daughter's school, done a big assembly, year 10s, walked out the gate to go home, got down the road about hundred meters away. I looked up and bang, there she was. My daughter, she must have come back for lunch. Let me tell you something, I speak to tens of thousands of kids every year. I ain't scared of kids. This, my daughter coming towards me, Everything just went, stopped around me, and she got closer and closer. And I tell you what, I was terrified. My heart was beating. I was scared of rejection. What did I say to her? And I walked up and I put my hand out and I said, Ria? And she looked, she went, Yeah. I said, I'm Paul, I'm your dad. And she gave me this hug. Uh, <laughs> like, and she's standing there looking at me. She's a little bit taller than me. She's beautiful. And I'm thinking, it was like looking at myself. And I thought, you know, I, and what we spoke about, I can't remember. I was just in awe. Mm -hmm. of this little girl this 15 year old talking to me my daughter that little girl that was once in my ex's belly and she walked off and that was the best day of my life yeah that was the best day I was never I've never been I'm grateful for everything but to talk to her and I was on such a high a rush time. It gave me the best high ever i mm-hmm. ever had in my life. And I wrote her letter and I can't read and write properly. And it took me hours to write this letter because I left school when I was young. So I had to Google some of the words, copy the spelling <laughs> and I was done it. It was a bigger men's letter mm-hmm. to her and her mum, to her really. Yeah. But I said, it, I'm really sorry what I did to you and your mum. You know, I had a problem with yeah. drugs. I'm off from now, I'm clean, I'm sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what, I would love to see you again. Mm-hmm. So after the big long letter at the bottom I put PS and actually I put love dad you know and I put a big kiss and I actually put my address on there my phone number I said text to me or write to me we go out together and I posted it and now I've got an obsession with the postman two three days yeah, he's coming like nervous. a dog now yeah. and I'm checking my every time my phone goes I'm thinking is it her and after a week it wasn't and I started to lose a little bit of hope after a week and I thought oh no I'll do you know one last straw i try I'll send a friend request on Facebook no reply and eventually uh, uh, two weeks went by it was nothing and I thought you know what she's read my letter by now she's seen my friend request and uh She decided she didn't want to see me. And if I'm honest, you know, I have to look back and why would she? Yeah. You know, she's got a dad now Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and I chose that. So you know, I guess, you know, life had to go on. But next day, my phone rang and it was Joanne, her mum. And she went, you're right, Paul? I went, yeah, what's wrong? She went, don't worry, nothing's wrong. We just got back from holiday. We've been away for a couple of weeks. And she goes, Ria's read your letter this morning. Do you want to take her out? And I was like, Emotional, yeah, it was like really, you know, like my. I've just come, I'm buzzing. Uh-huh. I said, Yeah, you know what? I'd love to. That's amazing. And I whipped, I picked her up a week later, and then uh, I took her for a cheeky Nando's. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'll show you a picture of me in a minute. Yeah. I'll put a picture, she's on my Instagram, and uh, and I see all the time there. Yeah? That's amazing, brother. You should be proud of yourself
1: to- because even the method that you're thinking if. You- if we don't hear from somebody for two weeks, we get low self-esteem, low yeah. confidence, insecure. Yeah. The madness starts thinking yeah. that. Right. May-
0: maybe that's an excuse to go start dabbling again. Yeah.
1: Nobody loves me. Yeah.
0: Um, but you've I done amazing. Going, I, was, I wasn't going to use on that, but I was just, it was just like I had to look that, you know, any addict, anyone who gets, you know, heavily involved with drugs and becomes an addict, there is a consequence. There is an amends to make to people. And I made amends to as many people as possible. But, you know, my daughter, yeah, And her mum was good enough to let me see her. I think that's one of the reasons why it kept you. It gave you an
1: initiative to keep straight. You've got to do it for yourself, but in the back of your mind, I'm going to get
0: myself in a great place so I can see my daughter again. I actually wake up spiritually, didn't I? Yeah. You know, all my life I've been dead, haven't I? I've been asleep. Yeah, sleeping. People walk around asleep without taking drugs, you know? So my job is today to wake these kids up.
1: But if you never went through all the stuff you went through, Paul, you yeah. weren't able to save the thousands of life that you Oh, doing. no. Do you
0: know what? a reason. There's a reason, so There's a reason why I sit here. Well, yeah. There's a reason why I sit here with stab wounds all over me, holes in my legs, you know, all them all them pictures, you know, I wasn't just a drug addict, you know, I've been in prison, I've been involved with gun crime, knife crime, I was a raving alcoholic, I had mental health. So anything that's totally relevant to kids today, I guess I've quite a bit, 23 years of experience, you know, it's a long apprenticeship. Yeah. You know, I've got, other, got yeah. a lot to, 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 to give yeah. to these kids to say to them, come on, you know, you have got a choice. Yeah. And, you know, and I know through the platforms and the work I do and the thousands of kids I speak to, it's all on it's all on social yeah. media. It's there. So you know, as I, said, I mean a school tomorrow. We've Reading Football Club isn't no expectation. You know, and we've other football clubs next week and in schools next week. If I educate this year, eighty thousand children this year for two thousand twenty, and I stop a dozen from ending up on this shit, stabbing someone to death with a knife, or becoming an alcoholic, that's twelve. People that belong to somebody. Yeah, I'm hoping to change more. Yeah, but you know I can't change every young mind.
1: Yeah, it's a phenomenal thing that you're doing, Paul. You Thank you. Be very proud. Of Thank my you. Heart off to you, brother. That's all right. Nothing but respect for you. Thanks for inviting me. for yeah. anybody that's in the struggle just now, too scared to maybe come forward, too ashamed or too embarrassed. For anybody that's really want, I believe if you've got addiction problems every day, you want to try and change. You try and change, even though you want to get your first hit or you want yeah. to whatever it is you're addicted to deep inside you want to change, but it is, it's a difficult thing. For anybody that's in the struggle just now, what advice would you give for them?
0: Look, look, that day I walked into that police station, I knew there was two things there, right? I had a bit of faith and there was hope, but I had to walk in to that police station. I'm not saying everyone's an addiction problem, they're talking to a police station, but there are treatment centers, there are places that you can go and get help, programs, yeah? But you've got to ask. Now, a lot of people don't want to ask because obviously they feel ashamed, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you're not alone. And that's what I worked out now. And I've got friends in recovery and I meet up with them often two or three times a week. You know, I go to these certain places, these certain meetings I go to with other people with similar problems to me and they've got the identification. And they give me hope because when I first walked into these places and I heard stories of people being clean five, six years and I was a day clean, I used to think, oh, you ain't used that long. So then, all day down, these, 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 these newcomers are coming into these places where I go, yeah, and I'm telling them I haven't used it for 13 years, you know, it's attractive. Mm-hmm. And they go, hey, What did you do then? Well, I started working some sort of program, yeah, and I started hanging about with people that are like minded and loving and caring that weren't going to judge me. And there's lots of people out there that are helping, yeah, but you've got to pluck the courage up. And addiction's hard, you know, you have to hit a certain rock bottom, right. yeah, and like many rock bottoms. You know, like, you know, many times I try to kill myself, my legs, all that stuff. You know, I shouldn't be alive. I mean, a doctor once said to me, you're alive, it's incredible. You know, you shouldn't not be alive. And I never caught anything. I was really lucky. You know, I didn't catch HIV or hepatitis. I don't know how. She had needles all them years. So I'm trying to say, if there's someone out there struggling with alcohol problem, drug problem, you know, there's help, but you've got to ask for it and you've got have a little bit of faith. You know, it won't be easy at first, but it'll, trust me, in the long run, it'll be worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I meet loads of people who get sober. Hundreds. I meet hundreds of people get clean I was at a convention in Spain uh, in November I got invited to a talk out there a thousand alcoholics turned up <laughs> at this hotel it was, you know it's great yeah, it's amazing love
1: yeah yeah. we it's love each amazing. other yeah. for what you do brother honestly it's, it's an amazing like, like, as I said only start. thank yeah. you
0: and hopefully you know yeah. someone might watch his podcast as I said someone might watch his podcast and they might look at it and go you know and then refer them you know to to, to, to videos I've got on my website what's the name
1: of your website Paul we'll leave all the links in the description of our social
0: media and website it's uh, com. And in through that is links to all my social media platforms. This, maybe
1: you want to come forward and ask listen, for help. Do you know
0: what? I get loads. Of, in fact, I go and speak to some kids in schools, mm-hmm. and they go and talk to their mum and dad about it. And have a dad or their mum have got a bit of an issue, or a friend has got an issue, a friend of a friend, and they contact me. I meet them. Mm-hmm. I meet loads of adults. I don't just yeah. talk to ten thousand of kids every year. And you know, I, giving is great. Yeah, you know, if I can help someone, what, what a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's amazing, brother. And thanks listen, for the invite. Thanks for coming on today. Think That's your time, all right. Thank you.
1: You're an amazing man, and what you do is unbelievable. That's all right. Well, Thank you, going, brother. That's well, right. love you. Yeah, great you can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel the link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe you can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is follow me on Facebook at James English 11 Twitter James English 0 Instagram James English 2 you can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify Sports
0: Social Podcast Network